Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for Life Over Coffee. I have an interesting topic. It will apply to virtually every one of us. In fact, I've titled it this way, Finding Your Voice to Be Who God Wants You to Be. We live in a loud and shrill culture where we get shouted down quite often, especially if we have a Christian message. And that's why it's important for us to set aside some time to think about how do we establish and maintain our voice. Maybe the more important question is, how do I find my unique voice so I can establish it and sustain it in a culture that is very much growing by the day with an anti-God message? I'm very glad that you're here. If you want to read the article, I would love for you to do that. As always, with our content, you can read, you can watch, you can listen. And so you'll find the podcast and the video embedded inside this article. Also, if you happen to be watching this on our YouTube channel or listening on one of our podcast platforms, be sure to subscribe. And then also, if you don't mind, if you would share it with someone, uh, that would be fantastic. That is one way that you can partner with us by sharing the practical message of Christ, sharing these resources with your friends, with the leadership of your church. That would be fantastic. Let me jump into this, finding your voice to be who God wants you to be. We have a herd mentality that drives us to conformity. The temptation to conform to the status quo is alluring. It is the rare individual who wants to stand out and to take a stand that is counter to the group's norms, drawing attention to themselves because they might be criticized. We all feel that. We know that there is a bully culture that will cancel us if we step out of line. Sadly, there are many voices who do have something to say, and they should be saying it, but they dare not because of timidity, or perhaps they desire the approval of those who could, as we say these days, cancel them. Nevertheless, there is a call on all of us to find our unique voices and to proclaim those voices regardless of the consequences. Of course, this leads us to the all-important question that I want to interact with here, how do you find your voice? Well, let's start with the negative because we know about the cancel culture. These folks live on the left and the right sides of the political, the social, the cultural spectrums. They have views that contradict the Christian message. And if you choose to speak your opinions, they will mobilize and they will cancel you quickly. Though most Christians do not live in the rarefied air of popularity that gains these cultural folks' attention, their power and their influence still scares us into a preemptive self-censorship. We don't have to be someone's target to sense the effect of this loud and proud culture. We've read of their antics, and like well-trained muscle memory, we conform, even though there is no target on our backs. It is a preventative measure. We don't want to find ourselves in their crosshairs. We don't want to be a casualty of their culture wars. 
And so what do we do? We self-censor without cause. We apologize for saying something that is not politically correct. We accept guilt when we're not guilty. We buy into the hysteria by conforming to what others expect out of a fear of retaliation. During our most recent COVID pandemic, to wear a mask or not to wear a mask should have been a decision based on conviction, discretion, other-centeredness, common sense, and biblical guidelines, not because we were afraid of what others said or what they did or might do, but fear and worry conformed too many of us to cultural expectations and demands while distancing us from figuring out how to be Christ-like to a culture that needs our Jesus. That's just the culture. But the Christian community is not much different from the secular cancel culture. Christians have preferences and expectations, and if you don't conform to the group's usual way of doing things, you could find yourself outside the camp looking in. I have many illustrations of this, this cancellation mindset within the Christian culture, and if you want to read some of those articles that I've written, I have three of them listed here. The Good Old Boy Network is alive and well within Christendom, and if you choose to ride a different rail, you will not receive the perks like those who paint by numbers and dare not to color outside the lines. The unwritten code is powerful enough to tempt the believer to cave to the politics of acceptance for the possibility of upward aspirations or maybe simply just to be left alone. The problem within our ranks makes it intellectually dishonest to speak against our secular cancel culture as though we're not susceptible to the same sins. Our Adam tendencies and theirs are quite similar. The world needs fewer clones and more people who know what they believe and are willing to share those beliefs according to the uniqueness of what God is doing in their lives. What's needed are those voices who are kind, gentle, humble, but firm, direct, and courageous. There are many ways we can succumb to quieting our voices while glomming ourselves onto accepted and expected norms. Facebook is a common place where many Christians who should be talking are afraid to speak their minds. Now, I am not talking about those who seemingly have no social filter whatsoever, and they come across as harsh and mean-spirited and unkind. We know who those people are, but that is why I am producing this resource here. Those are the ones that will cause those that need to speak out not to speak out. I'm speaking about those who know the words of Christ, those who can communicate those words of Christ in gracious and effective ways, but they don't because they fear retribution. I'm not saying that judgmentally because I feel, I sense that same kind of of retribution. 
I know what it's like to be canceled and for for folks to be yelling at you as you sit here wondering, why do you have to say it that way? Can we just talk in a civil way? If you're not careful, it can create a muscle memory that will cause you to retract and recoil and not speak when in reality you should be. Another familiar context for failure to grow your voice is in discipleship context. How often have you thought you should say something to a friend or to a relative, but you were afraid of the potential blowback? The counseling office or the kitchen table are not places for the timid, for the insecure, or the fearful soul. Sadly, we hear too much about the harsh person, not realizing the larger contingent are those with fearful voices who are afraid of the most boisterous people in the room. The most oft-repeated command in the Bible, as you know, is fear not. Our natural instinct is to recoil from courage while conforming to the norms. Very few people are willing to stand out, to explore the possibilities, to speak into the chaos with compassion and boldness that looks like Jesus. Each of us does cost Each of us does a cost analysis, and typically it's the fear of failure that wins the day. Growing up into the person that God calls you to be means you will fail many times, and you will disappoint a few individuals, even those who have the power to bless your life. It's the five-year-old t-baller who whiffs at the ball. If he quits, he will never realize his potential. He must keep swinging, keep getting his reps in, keep pushing the limits of his capacity to mature into what we say the best version of himself. Show me a unique leader, and I will show you a person who has failed many times. Nobody fulfills their potential without many disappointing defeats. Those who keep pushing find that special place of usefulness in God's world. They factor failure into the equation. They are not pessimists. When you say, when I say they factor failure into the equation, they're not pessimists at all, but they understand the painful path to success. They have enough humility not to succumb to discouragement, groupthink, echo chambers, or fear of retribution. They understand there will be failures on the first, the second, and the third tries, and the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth. If you interview any successful person, they will tell you about their many failures, their missteps, miscues, and their sins. They understand the path to success and how many defeats that they endured. But they don't look at them as defeats. They look at them as opportunities. That's that's not a mental gymnastic move, but that is just the Constitution is how they think about the process. If you're afraid of failure or the critique of not getting it right, you will conform to what everyone else is doing and what they expect from you. Settling for mediocrity should not be the desire of any Christian. The abundant life that God offers is not about your self-esteem, but about accomplishing wondrous works for the fame of God and the benefit of others, which brings us to the main question. 
How do I find my unique voice? Well, maybe you can begin this way: What is that thing that you want to do? What do you believe God is calling you to do? That thing, whatever it is, is your burden. That is your desire. That is your aspiration. It is an inward desire to do something for the fame of God. Now, the list of possibilities are virtually limitless. What you must do is identify what makes you tick. And once you have dialed in on it, then you begin to explore how to fulfill that passion. What I'm talking about here is an internal calling. We have an internal calling and an external calling. The internal calling is what you believe alone. It is a subjective assessment, but there is data that you can look at that can help affirm or dissuade you from this internal calling. Everyone feels a unique quality about themselves that makes them different from everyone else. But few folks are willing to explore what it is or how they can impact their culture because they refuse to step outside of their fears. And so, as you explore your burden, that desire, your internal calling, you begin talking to those who have experience in what you want to do. These folks are a few mile markers up the road from where you are today. These experts understand the process, the problems, and the pitfalls. They also are not afraid to affirm your calling or to disagree with your opinion about yourself. This is the kind of friend that you do want to surround yourself with. They believe in and practice loyal disagreement, meaning that they will always be loyal to you, but they have the freedom to disagree with you. Those are the friends that you want. You want to surround yourself with competent people like this who won't flatter you. You don't want that as you talk about your aspirations because what you're trying to discern with a few with the help of a few courageous and compassionate friends are your internal and external calls and so now we have an external call as i said an internal call is that thing that you feel subjectively that god has called you to that unique thing that makes you special that makes you different from any other person in the world well because it is subjective you want to assess and address the external call. The external call, these are some folks feel called to a thing internally, but nobody else agrees with them externally, except for those who don't have the expertise in the field or they don't fully understand what's needed to make the right decision. We talk about this in our mastermind program. We have a training program where we teach people, we teach leaders how to do the work of discipleship or what some people call biblical counseling. And one of the things that we want them to, or what what we want to help them to assess is that is this a good fit for them? Many people, if not all of them, come into our program with an internal call, a subjective assessment that they believe that God wants them to be a biblical counselor. 
Well, what we want to do is to cooperate with what God may be doing in their lives and to cooperate with this student and bring an external observation to to what they believe they should be doing to see if the external call and the internal call lines up. If you believe that you're good at something, then there should be an objective presence of that gifting already operative in your life, though you have not perfected it yet. And so what we're looking at is the presence of a gift, the presence of a calling, understanding that it's not perfected. Maybe we're in the T-ball league and you see the presence of baseball gifting, though it's not perfected, and maybe someday you can make it to the bigs. Now, there should be those who affirm what you believe that you possess. Again, the external calling affirmed by several voices who understand the situation. Sometimes there will be those in our program where it is apparent that they do not have the kind of gifting maybe that they aspire to. I've had that conversation many years, over many years, not just with those in our program, but also as a associate pastor at a local church, and then also as the person that built and led the counseling ministry in a local church, where we have people who come with a good heart, maybe because of something that has happened to them, some tragedy in their life, and now they want to be on on the end of things where they can help people who are going through a similar tragedy or horrific event. A good heart, a good desire, but as you begin to assess them, this external call, you realize that you really don't have what it takes. But it's not about wanting to be in a particular spot. It's about finding the right spot for you, and we should be humble about finding that right spot to us, because if we're in the sweet spot of our lives where God's favor is just raining down on us, we are internally recognizing that we have found it, and it's being externally affirmed, well, it really doesn't matter where it is as long as we find that spot. And so if there are people in your life who do dissuade you, and they are experts in the field, they have the information that they need, but they are not seeing what you want them to see, well, it would be worth deliberating because they could be correct. There are many options for finding that unique you your voice, the person that God has called you to be. Do you want to be a counselor? Do you want to be an author, a marketer? Do you want to be a videographer, a culinary specialist? Do you want to be a mother, a pastor, a production worker? Do you want to be a mechanic? You pick the field. The sky is the limitation. And once you have a general direction, you want to start carving the path to your preconceived goal. Don't worry about nailing the final destination, as I tell people often that I didn't figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up until I was 38 years old. Sometimes it takes a little while to get to the place that we want to be. And so don't worry about the final destination. No, and don't worry about the bumps along the way. The operative words here are a general direction. It's like training up a child in the way that they should go. Well, you do that generally, directionally, because we don't know exactly what it should look 
look like, and there would actually be a little bit of arrogance involved, maybe a lot of arrogance according to James if we say that this is what we're going to do, and this is the city that we're going to, and this is what I'm going to be when I grow up. We want to hold our plans quite loosely as we make them, and then we rest in the Lord to direct our steps. Your two strongest temptations will be, as you think about finding that unique voice, that spot where God has called you, will be caving to fear of what others think and or imitating someone you admire. The fear will be anxiety over whether you will succeed or not. We're all afraid to fail. Imitation will be a desire to mimic others rather than being yourself. I've seen a lot of this in ministry where a a student will go to a seminary of a powerful personality and they will begin to imitate that powerful personality. You don't want to do that. Again, you're looking for your unique voice, what God has called you to be. He has not called you to be someone Else, And so you want to guard against mimicking others rather than being yourself. It's easier to find a working model of what you want to be and do and imitate it. It's an easy temptation, but that person is not you. You're cloning someone else, which will have an air of artificialness and hypocrisy to it. You also will not be able to sustain being someone else because you don't know how to be anybody else but yourself. And so don't be an awkward copy of another person. That's just weird. You regularly see this fear of failure and temptation of imitation in the Christian world. And a lot of the books that we read Rarely is there a standout voice who is not regurgitating what others have said a thousand times. The best writers, the best speakers do not sound like everyone else. They don't sound like anyone else but themselves. They have their unique voice and they're not afraid to rise or fall on who they are. Regardless of what you choose to do, you want to be authentic. But you will never get there if you don't step away from the temptation of imitation and persevere through your defeats. Do not fear being who God is calling you to be. The title of this article that I've been sharing with you is Finding Your Voice to Be Who God Wants You to Be. Now, there are other articles that are linked throughout here, and if you want to do a good study, an in-depth study that could take you several weeks, I would encourage you to go to this article. You can Again, you can read it, you can watch it, you can listen to it, but more importantly, you can jump on these embedded links because that will help you, and it would be worth your time, especially if you're at this place in your life where you're trying to carve out that unique niche that is you. It would be worth your time to spend six months working through this content and then also gathering a couple of friends who do have the courage and the compassion 
You want the compassion because you don't want a a mean-spirited mentor, but yet you don't want someone to rubber stamp you either, and so you need that courageous friend. Now, as I wrap up this, I want to ask you a few questions. I want to give you a few tips to think about. I have six of them all together. Number one, what do you believe God is calling you to do? Now, perhaps it is merely to be more outspoken on Facebook, being gracious, of course. Well, if that's what God is calling you to do, to share your unique understanding of God's words, his Bible, then please do that with all graciousness. Maybe it is a chosen career that will set the trajectory for the rest of your life. But the question is, what do you believe God is calling you to do? Whether it's a big thing or a small thing, what is it? Number two, what is one thing you believe God wants you to do? It is possibly something you have not thought about. It's possibly something you have thought about often. It could be something that you're already doing. You're good at it. Maybe it's something that you have an inkling that you're good at doing. And so now I want you to spend time reflecting about maybe take a look in the rearview mirror and what are the continual patterns in your life? What are the things that you gravitate to? Maybe that will give you clues as to the thing that you should be doing. Again, this would be a good opportunity to ask someone else that question, too, as they observe your life. It's kind of like when you talk uh, on a, a tape recorder or a recording device for the first time and you hear yourself and you're kind of surprised at how you sound, but everybody else in the room knows you sound just like that. Well, other people observe your life and they see what you're good at or how you have blessed someone, some strengths and weaknesses. And if you have those kinds of relationships that will speak into your life, uh, that will help you. So look in the rearview mirror and see what you have been doing. What do you enjoy doing? What comes naturally and easily for you? And ask others their opinion as well. And this is number three. What do others say that you're good at doing? People do observe you, and again, if you ask them, maybe they will tell you, and that would be the data that could set you off on a wonderful course. Number four. Are there others who affirm your gift and direction? Sometimes people will say things that you did not even solicit. They will just compliment you. Uh, They will encourage you. They will express gratitude to you. As they do that, what are you hearing? Maybe you could tell others what you are thinking and ask them for their opinions. Now, do not choose folks who do not have the courage to speak the truth to you. You really want people who believe in and practice loyal disagreement. They will always be your friend, but they may disagree with you. Those are really good friends. Number five, how has fear hindered you from stepping into situations that you know you should have, but you chose not to do because of fear? And then the follow-up question here is, in what specific way will you change this? If there are things, this is going to what James said in 4.17, if you know to do good and you do not do it, well, it will be sin. And so how has fear hindered you from stepping into situations? You knew you should have said something. You should have spoken up. uh, You should have 
whatever that is, and then you fill in the blank. But then as you answer that question, please start praying through a specific and detailed plan so that you don't repeat that. That is not a habituation that you want to get into. You want to make a course correction, and if God is putting his finger on anything at this moment, well, this would be a good time to respond. And then number six, practice pre-commitment. What do I mean by that? Pre-commitment is telling someone what you plan to do. It's along the lines of accountability partner. And so you go and say, this is what I plan to do. Well, you have said it. You've said the quiet part aloud. Now they are part of it. And so when you let others know what you plan to do, it establishes an expectation in your mind and then also in their mind as well, all of those that are involved. And that can become a positive motivating factor in getting started down the path that you believe that God is calling you to. And so practice pre-commitment as you begin to dial in on what that thing is. Now, you might not have that clarity at this moment. I would, again, encourage you to work through this resource here, uh, wrestle with these call-to-action questions. But as you gain clarity, go ahead. Maybe the first act of faith would be stepping out with this pre-commitment notion by letting other people know what's up. If you have benefited from this podcast or video, however you are taking advantage of this resource, and if you are able, only if you are able, would you consider supporting our ministry? I don't want you to support us if you can't, and so I want to release you from any guilt. I don't want to impose guilt on you, and I don't want you to impose it on yourself. Everybody can't support our ministry financially, and you should be, I trust, supporting your church primarily. But if you are in a position to where you can support a ministry, a global ministry that is doing what we are doing, sharing the practical message of Christ to people all over the world, we have hundreds of thousands of people that we reach. We're a small team doing a lot of work, but we can't do it without a financial partnership. And so being released from guilt if you're able to support us would you go to our website and learn how to do that and i really would appreciate it you have been listening to life over coffee with rick thomas if you have a question for rick you can let him know by sending him a note through his website rickthomas.net that's rickthomas.net thanks for listening enjoy your coffee